10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey everyone, welcome to Am I Allowed to Like Anything, the podcast that talks to people about their work, their lives, and how they maintain their optimism in this world. I'm Darian Simone Harvin, and this week, Shanoa Maxwell joins me. Shanoa is a transformation expert and self-love specialist who transitioned from both an acting and photography career. When I met Shanoa, I knew that she was someone who had a story that I wanted to hear and also share. I also recognized her as a recurring character on the hit show Girls, so there's that. (laughs) I talked to Shanoa about how she grew up and some of the shifts that she's made in her life and also how she's continued to defy other people's expectations of her. I want to say that we do talk about suicide and abuse in this episode, and although it's in a light of overcoming both, I do want to flag for anyone who has a hard time listening to these subjects right now. Now, that being said, remember that you can rate and subscribe to Am I Allowed to Like Anything on iTunes and leave a comment if you're loving the podcast. You can follow me everywhere on social media at Darian Simone, and the links are in the show description this week. And remember that you can also always join the conversation using the hashtag A-I-A-T-L-A. Chinoa, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Of course. I really appreciate it. The story I was telling, I remember when I first met you at Soho House, Mm -hmm. I had like sat next to you, was probably super busy that day. I was like, oh, here's this black woman who I can 100% sit next to and feel like this is a place that I should be and belong. And I hadn't said anything to you. And you were like, hi. (laughs) (laughs) It's not often that we sit next to two black girls in this space. I'm Chinoa. What's your name? That's right. And that's how we started talking. So I always just appreciate that moment because it's such an indicator of, like, the things you should be doing. Absolutely. When you sit next to people. When you uh, see... You know, someone that radiates beauty. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and when you also see someone of a like kind, you should always just at least gift them with a smile, if not a hello. Yes, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Lessons for life. Yes. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm also just curious to know, where are you coming from? What did your day look like today? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, well, I started – I'm up for a TV show. So mm. I started my day off doing – they wanted me to – inter. I'll be a host for a show mm-hmm. if, if I end up getting the job. And um, this is like my third go-round of, of interviews or auditions. Yeah. And they want me to uh, – go and identify someone I'd want to interview myself. And so I had to record it and send it in to them. Okay, that's cool. So I did two interviews today, one with uh, Influencers of Influencers, Mm -hmm. which is she owns a company which identifies influencers and brands them out. And then I did one with the chef. That's very cool. Yes. Do you watch the show or have you heard of the show Chef's Table on I Netflix? Have. My boyfriend is like super obsessed with I am obsessed. <laughs> yeah. He, I am obsessed he makes with us show. watch it all the time. Yeah, it's cuz to me it's like food is their outlet of for their creativity. That's right. And I'm so inspired by that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not much of a cook, but my I'm much of an eater. Same. And so I really enjoy my boyfriend's enthusiasm for the show because it gets him <laughs> inspired to make me lovely dishes. Yes. So I love that. But that was just the beginning of my day. And then the rest of my day was spent with, um, as you know, I do transformation sessions. Mm-hmm. And so Monday and Tuesdays are usually my days designed for partnership opportunities, homework assignments, um, meeting with my team and my staff about, mm-hmm. like, what we're talking about for the next uh trimester or the next quarter and then um, I do Skype sessions on Monday and Tuesdays with my clients from out of town Denver and LA is my base I see why Denver 
I don't know. It's just who found me. Wow. Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm open to every person yeah. all around the globe. Yeah. But for some reason, those are the, you know, New York, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., and Denver are who found me. That's really cool. Yeah. And also, I think it's good to note that do you set aside Mondays and Tuesdays for transformation sessions or do you do them like all throughout the week too? So most of my local sessions are held Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Okay. Um, and then anybody who needs to Skype in, okay. um, de- mo- they get Monday and Tuesday. Okay. That's yeah. really cool. I think that's very good to know yeah. of how you're organizing your time. Well, you know, for me, it's all about living limitlessly. And, and that means something different to everybody. But right. for me, it's all about freedom. Yeah. Um, happiness is my number one thing. I promised myself at 15 years old that that was going to be my the gift that I gave to myself continuously over and over. And that was my constant focus, happiness. Mm -hmm. And so for me, as long as I can continue to have the freedom to create and to live life um, fluently and holistically, Mm -hmm. then I feel most successful. So I don't schedule myself so super thin that I can't enjoy my life. Yes. Yeah. And I usually don't take clients on Fridays. I just have been growing at such a rapid pace that I had to extend myself. But in summers, that's changing. I'm now, um, I told all my clients that I'm no longer meeting in the office. We're doing parks and rooftops. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) Oh, such a good idea. Because, you know, we have to keep, you know, making sure that we enjoy our summer and that means me too. Yes. And you're around light and warmth. Yes. And Mondays and Fridays I'm off, so that way I can have extended weekends and go play. Yeah, so exactly. I'm so glad that you kind of already answered in a way like the prelude to the question that I always ask when you talked about being 15 years old and this is, you know, the, the decision you made back then about how you kind of just want to live. So the question I always start out by asking all of my guests is, how did you grow up? <laughs> Man, I don't even think we have enough time. <laughs> you know. M- How did I grow up? I grew up quick. I grew up quick and I grew up with a super challenging childhood. Mm. Um, I saw way too much way too early. And I didn't have an opportunity to really have a real childhood, which is probably why I'm so hard-pressed at, like, living limitlessly and really playing Mm -hmm. till the end of time. Yeah. Um, But I grew up with – I have – Three brothers. I grew up with two of them at the time. I'm the oldest okay. of three brothers. And my parents uh, raised us up until I was about five, and then my mom left us. And so um, from that moment on, from the time she left, we were kind of in and out of a lot of precarious situations mm-hmm. that had to deal with a lot of abuse and abandonment, both physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. And then I was raised half halfway between New York City and then uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Okay, that was I was what I was going to ask is yeah. where you, so you were born in New York City. I was, I'm a New Yorker, yep. In what part of New York did you grow up? Queens. Okay. Yeah. So I, I grew up in New York City um, up until I was in about the sixth grade and then I stopped talking for a year so my father sent me to my mother's. So you stopped talking for a year? Yes. How old were you at that time? I mean, I don't really remember. I just remember the grade I was in because when Mm -hmm. I moved to California, it was going into the sixth grade um, because it was, you know, I remember our youth. (laughs) It was such a different environment of kids at the time. And, you know, I, I I don't even think I realized that was the first time I had to deal with, like, race and the first time I had to deal with the fact that people thought I was attractive. And then Mm -hmm. the first time people asked me really weird questions. Up until that point, I just thought I was a child. Right. But I do remember um, at the sixth grade, I moved to the Bay Area. Okay. And it was a really – it was – up until that point, I stopped talking because I was – my stepmother was so abusive Mm -hmm. and she hated my voice. And so she would just be like – if you don't stop talking, <laughs> yeah, get your butt. yeah, and it just made you like silent. Yeah, I, I just didn't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I remember that that was the first time I started to become really good at being good. And what did that mean? That just meant do every single thing that you can do to not get yourself in trouble, because in trouble meant getting beat really bad. And for me, I was old enough. 
and smart enough to understand how to be really smart and mm-hmm. how to apply myself and how to I guess I have a real gift because I could understand people without them saying anything, how they were feeling and what they were about to do. So mm. I could alter myself in a way to make sure that I was in their good graces. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> Did you find yourself taking care of your brothers? Was it was it I mean, was that the situation kind of where you were also growing up quickly in a way where you were also taking care of your younger siblings? Yes. I took care of my brothers. I walked them to school. I protected them mm-hmm. as much as I could. Mm-hmm. I had a stepsister, too, who lived in the house with, with all of this uh, physical abuse. But, yeah, I took care of my brothers. And I actually took care of my mother because when I moved from New York to the Bay Area, my mom wasn't really always in the right state of mind mm-hmm. to be a parent. So I found myself really, you know, it's really hard to see your mother go through uh, the kind of things I saw my mom go through, which is like overdosing, trying to kill herself, Mm -hmm. getting beat all the time, and just having a lot of challenges. Um, So I ended up taking care of her and my brothers. Yeah. And also I'm curious just to know, know that you've described your circumstances and, but even just as a child, like, how were you? Were you interested in school? Like, what piqued your interest? Like, what was your personality like when you when you felt carefree or those moments where you had the chance just to be yourself? Whether if you were alone or with friends, like, looking back, what were, like, some characteristics of, like, a younger Chinoa? I was really positive, I guess, mm-hmm. from the onset. But... I don't know. A younger Shinoa, even though I was positive, I was only positive in front of people. Okay. I was actually really sad. So I guess a younger Shinoa didn't have much freedom to be herself. Mm. She was really sad. She was. I cried every day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean— Every day. People used to call me sensitive and they used to say, oh, my God, here she's crying again. But there was a lot to cry about. And I guess I found my outlet after I saw the movie Fame. Um, My mother got remarried and she went into labor with my youngest brother, who's my half-brother, the day I arrived in the Bay Area. And my stepfather didn't know what to do with me, so he (laughs) took me to the movies and left me there for like... Eight hours. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just watched the movie Fame over and over and over and over again. And by the time I left there, I knew that this is what I was going to do in my life. And so I went into my own cocoon and I started just tap dancing and doing dance moves and singing and making songs and just, you know, mimicking people. I'm a really great impressionist. And I started to really find, I guess, my freedom through being someone else. Okay. Okay. And that also, I guess, in a, I, not I guess, is how you did get into acting. Yes. And so just to rewind a little bit, there was something that you mentioned about, like, coming into yourself and into your personality. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know... I know that we all don't realize that moment or even those periods of time, but even thinking about like your 15-year-old self and saying, I want to live limitlessly. Mm-hmm. I want to be happy. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of when you, when things, I guess, maybe started to change for you internally, where you started to just make more decisions about like, the life that you wanted to have? Um, there was a really big shift that happened when I was 15. When I was 15, I tried to kill myself. Okay. So after I... Um, failed at that attempted suicide which mm-hmm. I was so upset about. If you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. how did how did you try to kill yourself? Well, at the time my mom was under all kinds of medications. Mm-hmm. From the time I can remember my mom has always been sick. There's always been something wrong with her. If it's, you know, from anorexic to bulimia to depression to just anything, she had it. Mm-hmm. And so I remember her really being mindful about like you know, these are my pills. Don't you touch them. And uh, she wasn't much of a drinker or anything like that. But 
I saw her pills, and there was lots of them, and it said, do not take with alcohol. And so I remember saying, oh, this is probably going to kill me if I do that. So I just took a lot of pills and a lot of alcohol, and I went to sleep. And it was crazy because I didn't tell anybody about it. I, I really was, I waited till the house was empty and I could do it all alone. And I guess what happened was, and I still don't really know really what happened. I just woke up in the hospital and, and people were there who told me. But I guess at the time my boyfriend called me and I must have been out of it. Mm-hmm. And so when I was speaking with him, I was just mumbling. And so he couldn't really make sense of what I was saying, but he knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. So he came in, into my house and he literally just, I guess the door was open at the time. That yeah. was the time we lived in. Yeah. And he walked in and he saw me really sick and took me to the hospital. I see. And so that happens. Yeah. And then what do you decide? Well, I decided at the time that God really didn't love me (laughs) because I couldn't even get out of this life. And so I was really upset about that. But I didn't really have a choice at the time. What happened was when you try to kill yourself and really make a real attempt, um, not doing it for attention, but really to try to kill yourself and end your life. At the time, the state takes you as a ward. So they take you, and Mm. they take you away from your parents. They take you away from your household. And they placed me into in a a psych ward for children. And so I was in this psych ward. No one could get me out of the hospital. Even your mother can't check you out. No one can do that until they evaluate you. And so I was evaluated, and I was in that hospital for about 45 days. And it was in that hospital that I started to have my transformation. Was there anything specific within the hospital that helped you to have that transformation? Was there anyone or anything that helped you? Yeah. I had a doctor, and I, I love this doctor. She, her name is Dr. Eleanor Luce, and I think she's dead now, unfortunately. But she was about six feet tall, and she looked, I, I mean, most of you won't know who this is, but Big Bird from Sesame Street, she just looked so odd and so strange, and she was so tall. She had gray hair. Um, but she was the most loving, beautiful woman I've ever known and ever met, except for my grandmother. She just saw something special in me. And so she was really invested in me and my recovery. Mm. And after maybe a week of evaluation, she realized that I didn't have any issues outside of my home. And she realized that my home was the challenge and so that she needed to work with me as a young woman to help me understand my worth, my Mm. value. And through that, she started teaching me um, self-love practices and tools for transformation through the law of attraction. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) I think everything always happens for a reason. You know, there was a reason that I had my hard childhood, and there was a reason that I ended up in that hospital at that time with that doctor. Mm -hmm. I know I'm purposed, and it was the start of me really changing my life so that I can understand how to change the lives of others. Mm. And um, I see that now. So I want to fast forward a little bit. Yes. And I want to know how you got into acting. I mean, one of your, honestly, when I was doing my research, I was like looking at clips of Have Plenty. (laughs) I was like looking through Girlfriends. Mm -hmm. I was just looking at just the different movies and TV shows that you've appeared in. And and to me, even to get to that point is hard, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? There's so many people who want to act and perform and to be in front of the screen and on the stage. And I want to know a little bit of how you got yourself there. I think after I got out of the hospital, mm-hmm. it I became a real force. Um, and did you go back? Did you go back to your home that you're living in? I did. I went. Okay. To, I went back to my home, and then I went back in the hospital about six months later. Okay. So I spent a lot of time in that hospital. Actually, I wasn't even supposed to graduate. I was the number five student in the state. And when I hit my junior year, 
I, I tried to kill myself. Tried to kill myself. So mm-hmm. I ended up <clears throat> uh, losing my grades because that was not important to me. But I ended up saying the speech at graduation. That's okay. how much I turned my life around. Wow. And I guess after that moment when I started recognizing my power and connecting to the frequency of love and really owning who I was divinely, I made plans that I was going to change my life and be an exceptional person. And I started to figure out who I wanted to be based on looking at people I admired and taking parts of their lives and going, I'm going to have that for me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to become that person. And really just staying focused and dedicated to that. Acting came as a fluke. I remember that all I ever wanted to do was become like a person who could help suicidal teenagers Mm because I felt like the woman who helped me, I had to help other other teenagers. Yeah. But acting was, I, I was in New York City. I had moved back at 21 years old. And I just kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. I was trying to figure it out. And college wasn't working for me. I was in school as a pre-med student. And I just really wasn't getting the grades because I was paying rent. And I had to take care of myself. Yeah. Since I was 17, I've been on my own. Yeah. So I basically um, was roaming around the streets and it was back in the day in New York where no one would let you in the bathroom unless you were a customer and it was raining and it was just a miserable day. And I stumbled into this office just kind of looking through the windows, like peeping in. Mm -hmm. And this woman was like, come in, come in. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, can I use the bathroom? And she's like, sure, absolutely. And so I went to the bathroom, and when I came back, she's like, now sit down. (laughs) And I was like, huh? She's like, yeah, sit down. I was like, no, 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 I'm not not here for any, I just needed to use the bathroom. She goes, yeah, I know, have a seat. (laughs) And it was an acting class. And... You know, these actors were in there doing all kind of like, you know, all these exercises that were crazy. And I was just looking around like, these people are crazy. And I don't know. She was like, just try it. And I did. And literally, maybe 10 minutes in, I fell in love. Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh, my. I mean, it felt. It was the first time I connected to the feeling of love. Yeah, it was really powerful. <laughs> and I feel like once you experience that, it, no amount of money could make you want to stay away from it. Yeah. You're, you just become in love with trying to survive, like, mentally, emotionally, financially, like, from that. Well, I was just in love, and I knew at that moment that this was what I was going to do. And so it was interesting because at the time I was kind of repairing my relationship with my father and – You know, I was talking to my mom sometimes, and they were both like, you're crazy. You need to go to college. Everyone was against it. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, you don't understand. I'm a star. I am a star. And I just, there was something about how it made me feel that I knew it was my truth. And anytime you identify something as your truth, it is so. So you have to just keep leaning in and leaning in no matter who tells you what no matter what it looks like, what the circumstances say, if it's your truth, it will be so. Yes. And so it was so. Yeah. (laughs) And one thing that I am gradually learning, too, is that as much as you can heed advice and take it and listen to people, sometimes you just have a vision or something you want for yourself that other people haven't, or you haven't met anyone who has maybe experienced that yet. Mm -hmm. And just because no one can give you advice... And maybe no one has created a model for you doesn't mean that you can't do it. And it doesn't mean that it's not right. That's right. I mean, everybody has their own journey. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all predestined, right? And sometimes we're people who are there to create different journeys or a different path or a different way. And people who don't understand that will always doubt it or say that it can't happen. But see, our job is always to get connected to the higher power and to listen to our internal voice more than we do an external voice. Yeah. External voices can sometimes lead us into all of the wrong things. <laughs> Even if they're well-intentioned. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're usually all well-intentioned. But most people are 
giving you advice out of their own fears, their own beliefs, yeah. or their own projections. Their own fears and cautiousness. Yeah. And no one is made like you. Yeah. So. How did you get the ball rolling with acting and kind of getting, like, booking gigs and stuff like that? Did you, like, have a manager? I'm just, I'm kind of just curious in just, like, the nuts and bolts of... Well, for me, I started off just going to school. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I went to acting class and... When I started going to acting class, I just looked around and I was like, so what do you do? <laughs> and they were like, oh, we're going on an audition. And I was like, oh, what's an audition? I didn't even, I had no clue what anything was. And they were like, oh, an audition, you know, to get a job. And I was like, oh, so how do you get an audition? And they were like, go to Backstage, the magazine at the time. It's mm -hmm. a free publication or it was. I don't know if it is anymore. And they have an auditions listing, and you need a picture and a resume. And I was like, oh, okay. I can get those together. Can I see what that looks like? And so I just copied. I made up everything. And I, I went on an audition. I got my first job. I booked my first audition. That's amazing. Yeah, and it was a play um, that toured around, like, New York, Boston, all of the, mm -hmm. like, East Coast area called Back to Black Women. Mm -hmm. And I was the lead in that play. That's so cool. Yeah. And, okay, so I have to ask this question, <laughs> obviously, because Girlfriends is an iconic show. <laughs> and I just want to know, how did you book kind of like a reoccurring character on Girlfriends? And what was it like being on set? And what was that experience like? Well, I booked I booked a reoccurring role on Girlfriends after failing miserably in my test audition. <laughs> I was actually up for one of the main character roles. And at the time, I was a leading lady, so I would have, you know, I'm always considered as the leading role first. Mm -hmm. But I went into that audition, and when I tell you I messed up, I, I messed up. And not only did I mess up, I had, like, a fit. <laughs> <laughs> you were, like, mad at yourself. I was mad at myself in the room. I was like, are you kidding me? I, like, I just, I completely lost it because I was, I knew that that role was for me, and I was just so mad at myself. But... One of the things I'll always remember my acting teaching my my actor my acting teacher Susan Batson always used to say to me was she was like Shanoa, I don't care if you just go in a room and pull your shirt up and show your titties, <laughs> do something memorable. <laughs> yes, and that was a memorable moment because all of the producers. <laughs> really remembered <laughs> me from having a fit by, you know, fledging my audition. So they called me in for this reoccurring role. Okay. <laughs> and I got the part for that, not for the for the main character. But um, it was great being on set. I mean, Mara Brock-Akeel is just, she's just so special. I mean, mm. I've, had, I've had the pleasure of becoming her friend after many years and, She's just so talented and so creative and so cool and so she normal. She seems like a, such a cool person. She's so, she's so great. She's so beautiful in every way. And, um, you know, being on set was interesting because for me, it's a very interesting place as, as women of color because you do want to come on and have camaraderie and support. But acting is still a very competitive business. Yeah. And so you don't ever want to outshine the lead roles it, it's it's a lot of politics that you kind of have to work out but it was still a really incredible experience i mean all of the talent that was on that show they're just yummy people i yeah. love tracy ellis ross she's so funny and she's so she was so cool she's a fellow scorpion so we oh, clicked and we yeah. had a great time and everything was great and was there a point in time where you decided I don't think I'm really into acting any longer. I don't think this is, like, the path I want to pursue any longer was that you got interested in something else that took up more of your time. The reason why I'm, I'm asking all these questions is because I, I mentioned this in some of the notes that I sent to you that was just, like, you've made these pivots in your life mm -hmm. that, I, that, to me, are, I think are really great and also are very exemplary of you can do different things in your life and it's okay. And mm -hmm. the thing that you set out to do at 20, 26... 30, 40, 50, they're not going to be the same, and that's totally cool. That's right. So I, I'm just curious to kind of know, like, what your mindset was, like, what your circumstances were like when you 
decided to move on to like photography or whatever else you decided to do mm-hmm. when kind of that phase of your life was over. Yeah, it's interesting. When I when I discovered acting, I was in a really fragile, sensitive, emotional state that really took me out of me having to be me because my life was really not that great. It was just crappy, shitty start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but acting freed me from that. Yeah. And as I started to become um, more successful in my acting and my life started to change and I found love and I started to just be super confident, it didn't serve me anymore as a, as a person. Mm. I wanted to be me again. I really wanted to get back into learning who I was and, and the pretending started to become, it felt weird. It just felt like, I don't, this is uncomfortable. Yeah, like, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do this. So it was a really interesting moment because I do remember, like, sometimes I would go into the, it started happening gradually, and I would go into an audition, and I would just be like, this feels so weird. Like, I don't, I don't I'm not comfortable anymore. And so I just shifted. It, me, I, I shifted. Okay. And so I shifted out. And what did you shift into? I shifted into love at the time. I was married, and... My ex-husband and I, we decided that I was telling him, you know, the business is really tough and there's a lot of bullshit and I'm I'm hypersensitive to bullshit. I'm not mm-hmm. interested in it. I don't want to placate. I don't want to have small conversations. Yeah. I'm, I'm just a passionate, intense person that has been on a really big journey for a long time. So it bores me very quickly. Um. And so I said, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to pursue acting right now. I want to take a break. But it was really hard for me to make that segue because I was a leading lady in popular movie. And so everyone who ever saw me was like, oh, my God, it's Haviland. What are you doing? What's the next movie? Yeah. And it was really kind of like I started to feel like a failure just by not focusing on that. Mm. So I was like, I have to move. So we decided to move out of the country. Oh, where did you move to? To London. Okay. Yeah, so we lived there for three years, and while I was there just pivoting from acting, I started just going to art school and doing photography. I see. And okay. uh, some of my friends started seeing the images that I was capturing, and they were like, you are really good. And one of my friends put me in a, in a competition, and I won. And from that moment when I realized that, huh, I'm actually really good at this, Maybe I should pursue this as a career is when I just pivoted and traveled around the world and became a photographer and shot Mm -hmm. Annie Libowitz and Shaquille O'Neal and did covers and traveled to Africa and India and had exhibits and just, you know, rocked it out. Yeah. (laughs) And what were some of your favorite places to go visit and to photograph? Oh, I am in love with India. India, like Africa was so awesome to go to, but I got to tell you that most of the places that I traveled to in Africa were war-torn countries. And while giving the gift of imagery back for people who felt unseen, to give them an opportunity to be seen was so powerful and it changed my whole mind frame and it really changed my life. The place that just captured my spirit was India. Why do you think that was? I don't know. You know, I talk about that even today because sometimes I'm like, I wonder if in my past life I this was part of my culture because mm-hmm. it just resonated with me. Um, but as a photographer, I will say that it's, it's, it's stimulating in every way. Like, it's just... Your senses are overloaded because of the smells and the colors. Yeah. Everything is so saturated and or, ornate. Um, and so everywhere you look, you're like, wow, it's just bursting with, uh, you know, things to shoot. And the temperature, uh, meaning the light temperature hmm. in the air, is just so beautiful. So, and I, I guess the spiritual nature of it. I, yeah. I just was really taken by it. So that was my first photo exhibit, uh, Introspection India, where I uh, decided to showcase my works as works of art. And that was really cool because I sold out half of my show on the first night, which was really cool. So I guess I did a, I served them well. Yeah. (laughs) 
And I actually want to kind of go go back a little to the point where you essentially decided to move to London and you kind of realized that, you know, people were perceiving you in one way as this character in a great movie that was going to move on to doing something else um, that wasn't what people expected you to do. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, looking back at your decision to do that, mm-hmm. what did you... L- learn that maybe helped you to continue just to turn over and make other decisions about your life if that makes sense because it seems like there's a there's like a sense of like satisfaction from from other people that you just have to get over you know like the idea of like satisfying other people and what they think of you yeah and expectations yeah I you know I guess I'm I guess I was really fortunate with the situations that occurred in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Because of my parents' inability to really be like normal parents, mm-hmm. meaning, you know, they were unorthodox and they, while we were their priorities in some aspects, we just weren't in others because they just couldn't be there their availability emotionally and physically prevented them from being there. So at the very beginning, the people that matter most, I was basically like, fuck you. <laughs> Do you understand what yeah. I mean? Because I, they didn't protect me. You know, I was put in a lot of really bad situations. And, you know, for a 15-year-old to want to kill themselves – you can only imagine how difficult and how painful each and every day the situation was. And yeah. the, that was my parents' responsibility yeah. to make sure that their children were cared for and safe and protected. But because mine wasn't, I guess I learned to do me. And that ability to do me has served me so well because... While I know that people might have expectations of me, I mean, when I stopped acting, I fell out with like a dozen friends. People were so mad at me. They didn't talk to me. They thought I was the stupidest girl on the planet. No one understood it. They were like, you're at the top of your game. You're a leading lady. You've been in four movies and several TV shows and you have another one coming and you're leaving the industry. Are you freaking kidding me? They were pissed. And for me, again, when you have, when you own and understand your truth, why you're here, who you are, and what your focus is, then none of that matters. Yeah. My focus is not about pleasing you. My focus is all about making sure that I'm always connected to my divine power because that's the only thing that got me through and my happiness. And happiness shifts. You know, what makes you happy at 20 is not what's going to make you happy at 30, is not what's going to make you happy at 40, is not what's going to make you happy at 60. Mm -hmm. Every single decade, you shift. And for people to continue thinking that you're supposed to be the same, what do you want to do when you grow up, little girl? Yeah. To have that same ideology and those same needs, it's, it's just, it's incorrect. Yeah. It, you know, it's limiting, and right. I'm limitless. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me about where you were in your life when you decided to do the show Love in the City. Well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, there's so many things that just came through my mind at that time because I guess when I did Love in the City – I was in a creative place. I know that I was pitching a lot of television shows because while I stopped acting, I still stayed in the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. so that I could have, you know, I spent a long, I spent over a decade formulating relationships and and really that was my career. So I didn't want to just abandon the career. I just stopped. I pivoted from acting. Mm -hmm. So I was still pitching shows and my my girlfriends and I, we were... uh, you know, always in the room pitching shows. And when they approached us about the show, um, I just thought, it's Oprah. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, Oprah was interested in our pitch. She hadn't seen anything yet. We, you know, but we, Oprah herself, not her executive or her assistant, Oprah was interested in our pitch. So I just thought, what a great way to be a difference. You know, she wanted to create a docu-series as opposed to a reality show showcasing and highlighting women of color being real friends and having the drama come from not their friendships but the outside of yeah. their friendship. Just life. Life, yeah. life itself is already hard enough. And complicated. And complicated. There's already day-to-day drama just by being you. Not because you have friends that you want to, you know— throw drinks on right <laughs> yeah so oh my god that's so true <laughs> like when you watch the show the drama n- didn't come from within your circle of friends no. you guys just all had separate circ- like life we had circ- life issues in your own life and you were all living your own separate lives too i mean women we have we have you know my my challenge when we were pitching the show i mean one of my girlfriends kaya she's super successful she's won She's won the highest awards that you can win, you know, Emmys. She's won two Emmys. She's had her own line. She's, like, successful, and she yes. can't find a man. Or the men that she finds, they're not exceptional, or they're not the one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after a certain point in life, you keep going through this cycle, and you're like, what's going on here? Like, what, what's, what's, what do I need to deal with? My other girlfriends had cancer, you know? And then for me, I was married— and I couldn't have children. Those are real life dramas that, yeah. you know, at every stage, women are always going through something. And so I think it was a really empowering show, even though a lot of people were really upset again. Why were they upset? Well, my actor friends that remained, <laughs> they felt like it was a slap in the face, kind of like, why would you do a docuseries? You're an actor. And it's kind of a, hmm. a pivot down, I guess. And they also felt then there were some friends who felt like revealing that much of your life is like, oh, my God, you're so hungry for attention. And you're like, no, I mean, I'm not hungry for attention. If I was hungry for attention, I would have stayed acting. No, I'm not hungry for attention. I just think that it's really important for people to share their stories. Yeah. I mean, the only way that you learn is from sharing. The only way that you grow is from sharing. The only way that you get freedom is from sharing. And the only way that you don't feel alone is from listening and hearing that you're not in these stories. So I thought, if Oprah's going to tell it, I'll do it. I feel like I would probably feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to trust anyone with trying to be open. Trying to tell your story, yeah. And transparent, I I think it's Oprah. (laughs) Uh, Or Michelle and Obama. I do, too. I do, too. (laughs) You know, Michelle (laughs) and Obama. I mean, outside from those two people. Yeah. Okay. And so, I don't know, I still feel like I'm skipping over so many parts of your life, but for the interest of time. (laughs) And you've already told me so much that that I just quite frankly didn't know about you. And I always think that that's the interesting thing about my podcast is that it's not that I'm going into into my interviews like not knowing anything about the people who I'm talking to, but I'm also learning a lot along with the people who are listening. And it's almost my job just to like ask the right questions and to be the right listener. Anyways. Oh, I will tell you that I've never shared this story. So nobody even knows that. I, funny, I Which think story? Oprah people know, like, mm-hmm. but really about my childhood. Yeah. No, but wow. I think a lot of people think that I'm... Uh, oh, it's so funny because most people, when I first meet them, they're like, oh, what, what college did you go to? And they think I'm an Ivy League college graduate. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I didn't even graduate college. Um, I think people have a perception of me that I'm... I come from, like, privilege or from, like, a silver spoon in my – because I, mm-hmm. I, I seem together. And they can't imagine me having worked my ass off to become the person or the woman that I am today. They just feel like I am. And so it's interesting. And to be com- completely honest with you, one of the things that I honestly was having trouble with when I was learning about you, besides from the interactions that I'd have had with you, and I was like, this is a radiating person who is positive and who I would love to have on my podcast. I couldn't even figure out where you were born. <laughs> and I couldn't even find, I couldn't find, even if you had finished college, where you went or yeah. what. And so I think there's an element of just interest in that. And 
But you're the only person who's ever asked. And I've done many, many, many interviews. Wow. Yeah. It's funny. Most people, well, I guess, you know, celebrity and I'm, you know, that takes, people are always talking about like, what's, what are you doing now? And then if, right. you, if you're doing a television show, then they want to know about the show and they want to know about all of the, the topical things that seem shiny and flossy and great. Yeah. But really, how do you get, how did you get there? I don't think anybody's ever asked that question. And I also find that there is this pressure, especially within the entertainment industry, where there are PR people Mm -hmm. and then there are writers and journalists who are looking for stories. But then there's like this energy of of everyone trying to feed each other to make content or just to make things happen for other people that we kind of get lost in just like – what kind of people are we? Yeah. You know? Everybody has a backstory. Right. You know, and so it's it's just really uncovering who who you really are and what what has been your journey. And I'm really proud of my journey because I worked I worked really hard to find my happiness, to own my happiness and to make it last. Yeah. And I know that I I do it and I do it well. Okay, so maybe that's a perfect segue because I wanted to now talk about what you're doing now. Would you say that it's correct to call yourself a life coach? Is that the right term, would you say? Or would you kind of categorize what you're doing as maybe something as something else? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't categorize myself as a life coach. Okay. I know that I sometimes will use it so that people can get a greater understanding, but that's re- not really what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree with that too. I think I just used it because it helped me to like, compartmentalize Yes, it helps you create a category. Yes. Like, oh, she's in wellness and she's in life coaching. But no, I I, I don't consider myself a life coach. I consider myself a self-love specialist Mm -hmm. and a transformation agent or uh, an agent for change, a person to help you develop a life you love. And it's very different from a life coach because I feel like life coaching is, they're really there to help you, you know, get goals accomplished. I'm going to, you know, make sure that you are um, accountable Mm -hmm. for what you say you want to do and help bridge the gap between why you're stagnant. I mean, for me, the difference with with my company, Live Limitlessly, is that I work with you from your core, from your core being. I believe that love is, is the power source. And love it's not just my belief, but love is the highest frequency of the universe. Mm-hmm. I can get really deep on you, but I won't go. I won't go all the way there. But basically, if if there's anybody out there that believes in anything beyond themselves, if you believe that there is a creator, an almighty creator, whatever you call it, whatever seventy two names that you might think of it, mm-hmm. we all can agree that it's not like people were just here. Yeah, somehow. From a single cell, from somehow, we became people and we're here now, many years later. And everything is created that way, right? So everything is created through energy. Energy is the, is the frequency and a thing that keeps everything going in motion. So if you really understand that from one single cell, everything on this planet was created. Yeah. From one single cell. And that cell is smaller than a piece of sand. Mm-hmm. From one single cell, everything is created. That's how much power is in consciousness, right? And we're all made from that. So if we can plug back into that one single cell, then we can really own our power and we can really get a better understanding of how to be in flow with life, what our purpose really is. Because we're always so sold on just being human. I work with the human and the spirit side. And I make them one so that you can really understand you're a tower Mm -hmm. of power. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So how did you, how did you learn all of that? Like, I know obviously through life, but was there any like specific teaching or was it just, was there any person who helped you to learn all of that, if that makes sense? Yeah. You know, I think it was a combination of the therapist when I was 15, Dr. Mm -hmm. Eleanor Luce and my grandmother, my grandmother was a really spiritual person. And so she used to always tell me that, you know, every day is a wonderful day. And she would give me simple teachings about love, you know, how love is everything and how 
if someone does you wrong, don't you worry about it. Love will handle it. Love is God. And, and so I think between her teachings and me really studying and mastering self-love and the law of attraction and just the universal spirit and frequency, I, I just continued to develop it and, and learned it and practiced it and read about it. And I mean, you know, most 15-year-olds are going out and going to dances and doing things. I was really reading like The Road Less Traveled. I was reading <laughs> all of these books to try to get my life together because mm-hmm. I had to. You know, I don't, you know, I've just been practicing it for so long. And the difference with me and I guess a life coach is you can get get a certificate and you can say, oh, I've practiced this for 10,000 hours, but I've been practicing it for 15 years. And in each and every turn, you can watch my life as a witness on how it works. And I think that that's really powerful for you to say, you know, I went from suicide to stardom and I continue to transform and make my life a life that I love. Yeah. It's uh, but it is a practice. So I offer that to people. Um, It's a starting point. You know, you have all of the power within you, but sometimes we forget that. So you come to me so that I can help you remember who you are Mm. and give you the starting point for your daily practice of self-love. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so one thing that I feel like you must do, or I guess this is where my question comes from, is that there's so much about you that I didn't know and I couldn't learn because it wasn't out there. Was I talk about like the balance between your public life, like on social media, and what you decide to share and also like what you don't decide to share about about your day-to-day life, right? right? And so I'm interested to know if you have any philosophies around that, like what you decide to share or not share or just like what you decide to keep for yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that everybody has to have a little bit of them that no one gets to. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, you know, boundaries. And for me, it's not really a conscious day-to-day thing. It's more about what I value, what I hold dear, what I treasure. Sometimes it's very different than what other people do because it seems like I'm exposing a lot or giving a lot of myself. But really, I have my own values of what no one else can get to unless you're super close to me. Mm -hmm. And even some of those people don't get it. Um, And that's just my own little well of reserve, my, my thing that I hold for myself. And I think it's you, you know, when you talk about relationship with spirit and relationship with the creator, I think that's another relationship day to day, minute to minute that you have. And that's the priority. So that is the ultimate relationship that that's for them, you know. And then I also think relationship wise, you know, I think just everything isn't for everybody. It just isn't, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, as much as we're a sharing culture. Um, And as much as we like to, you know, be constantly giving content and and telling what's what we're doing, um, there's something beautiful about mystery. Definitely. You know, and I think it's really wonderful to finally find a tribe that cares enough about you to seek you out, to find out more, to dig deeper, especially with women. I really feel that we're constantly giving ourselves so much for no reason like we don't let people earn it Mm. and if you want to know more there's more to know everybody has more layers to unpeel but do the work get to know me yeah you know get excited there's some really juicy things when you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper yeah you know that is a great point (laughs) (laughs) okay so that's what makes you the difference too yeah that's so true. You know, because everyone, like, what what I always tell my clients, you know, what's your gold? What's your magic? What makes you different? It's just something to ponder. Mm-hmm. If you know what your magic dust is, then you can sprinkle it and change the reality that you have each and every time. But you have to know what your magic dust is. Yeah, you have to know what it is first. And then you have to, you know, hold it dear. Yes. Can't sprinkle it on everybody. <laughs> Here's one of my last questions before we get into the plus one segment of my mm-hmm. podcast. What is your dream right now? Like, what do you, what do you think about at night? Like, what wakes you up, or what 
like gets your mind racing, you know, like what do you hope to accomplish? Not even within a certain time frame, just, you know, that that goal or maybe something that's like in in left field, not because you can't accomplish it or get to it, but you just haven't gotten to it yet. Well, <laughs> that's a, such a good question. I mean, the thing that keeps me up, I guess, at night is how can I continue being an inspirational force that helps magnify and inspire people's lives. Mm -hmm. I would love to be the leader of what I do. I mean, I I believe I am, but in a global way. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd like to be recognized for it, paid for it, given the lifestyle for it. And while continuing balancing the freedom of my life. And that has been the bigger challenge because the more you grow and the more successful you become, the more is placed on you. And and that time does get eaten up. It's mm-hmm. really hard being an entrepreneur, owning your own business, running your own business, especially in this brand conscious, content conscious, mm-hmm. light conscious society. There's so much more than just building brick by brick a business you have to do so many things to just keep your keep relevant yeah um and to let people know that you're the difference but i guess for me it's really just turning up the volume and the light and the love inside of people letting them know that they're worth they're they're worthy and that they are worth love and that they are love um yeah i think that's it what am i working on now I am working on – I just launched my Bali retreat, which is so exciting. Oh, my gosh. Can we actually <laughs> just talk about Bali for, like, I don't know, an hour maybe because I loved it when I went. It was just amazing. I could probably live there for, like, a few months. Maybe. Yeah. Here. Well, that's what I'm working on. <laughs> I mean, you know, honestly, people always say, why Bali? You know, it's so far. It's so special. But it is – so special. They don't call it the island of the gods for nothing. <laughs> it is literally a spiritual vortex. It is. The whole country operates with grace. And there is something super magical when you get on the ground there mm-hmm. that is unexplainable, unlike any other place. I mean, I've traveled all over the world as a photographer, and this place just speaks not only to me, but anybody who's on that journey. Definitely. Right. So um, I launched that. So I'll be having retreats in October. My first one is October 14th through the 21st. It's a seven-day odyssey for restoration, deep self-love, and healing. Mm. And then I'm going to be adding more and more workshops to that. So I'll be doing not only retreats for women but retreats for couples, two-day, four-day, seven-day experiences, um, Jamaica, the Hamptons, Los Angeles, and, uh, of course, Bali. Alrighty, so... I have one segment on my podcast. Mm-hmm. It's called the Plus One segment. Okay. Where you can shout out a person, place, thing, experience, product that you are just loving and or appreciating right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> outside of my own experience of Bali. Um, I will have to shout out the 8 app. Okay. I've actually heard of it. Yes. I think the 8 app is um, if you're a creative person or if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to build a platform where you own all of your content, it's kind of like Instagram meets Twitter meets YouTube combined together so that you can actually have a creative channel for yourself, but they pay you for it. So Mm. what they do is once you put content on that platform – And as the algorithms continue to grow and your likes continue to grow, brands actually identify you as a tastemaker. And so either they'll give you free products or they'll give you money Mm -hmm. or they'll – and so you can continue to earn as you're posting. So you're just not posting. Just to post. Just to post. Yeah. I think it's a pretty brilliant uh, platform. And uh, it it deserves a shout out. Definitely. Oh, my God. My plus one is so simple. (laughs) I just wanted to shout out Naomi Campbell. Well, number one, it was her birthday yesterday. Today is the 23rd. Yesterday was the 22nd. She's a Gemini. 
I just wanted to shout out Naomi Campbell and specifically her Instagram lives, which she does quite often. And I just love that she is this world famous model and world famous human who goes live on Instagram. I love that. And is always like, hello. I'm in London right now. Hello, everyone. I mean, I'm doing a horrible accent right now. But, you know, she's just like this international woman who you don't even know where you're going to find her. And she's just like, hello, lovelies. Like, how are you doing today? I love you all. Goodbye. This is what I'm doing. Anyways, I love it. I think that she's amazing. And shout out to Naomi Campbell. That's fantastic. Shanoa, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for opening up to me and just telling me about your life overall and what you're thinking about and how you live. Thank you for asking. Yes. <laughs> and um, I don't know, cheers to many more conversations. Yeah, and if you want to come on a retreat, change your life, heal, transform yes. in paradise, <laughs> you can always find me at www.livelimitlessly.com or just at Shanoa Maxwell at any social handle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all over. <laughs> Yeah, that was so great. Awesome.